Hey everyone, thank you so much for checking out the WeVA podcast. Today is going to be truly one of the most special episodes of the WeVA podcast we've had so far. Laura Hamm is making her debut on the WeVA podcast. Uh, Laura has created so much amazing content that helped me personally learn how to use WeVA and all sorts of things from WeVA uh, examples to say the design of the GraphQL and uh, blog post tutorials around this graph like data model and all these exciting things. So, uh, Laura, thank you so much for coming on the WeVA podcast. Thank you, Connor. Yeah, it's great to finally be in your podcast. <laughs> so could we start with um, the the introduction of kind of the origin story of what led you to be working on WeV8? Yeah, that's a good start. So um, that goes back already like five years, I think, uh, when I started working together with uh, Bob, the one of the founders of, of Semi and WeV8. Um, yeah, back then we were working both as a, as a freelancer or some other projects and Bob started working on on Wave 8 and I think like we were both super interested in natural language processing and how like all the developments uh, in that world happened and that's where yeah we started collaborating and um, yeah started working on Wave 8 basically. So I think Bob tells us that when I asked him how he first got into this he says the king minus queen plus man that kind of thing was that a similar inspiration for you that led you into this uh, vector embedding kind of part of natural language processing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So at the time you had like these first word-to-fact models, for example, uh, coming up. And with word-to-fact, of course, words are represented as vectors. Um, and that's also where you have this king minus um, man plus female is queen thing uh, is coming from, of course. So basically with these algorithms like word-to-fact, we were like, they allowed us to use neural networks to understand language and word associations. And um, yeah, what's, what's been really interesting to me um, specifically is that you can calculate then like how similar uh, different words or different concepts are uh, to each other. So you can find synonyms or related concepts, which is of course very relevant if we talk about uh, a search. Because I think like before, um, with uh, natural language applica processing applications, people were working or still working a lot with uh, ontologies or taxonomies. And think like ontologies and taxonomies, they need to be defined beforehand. So before you start using an application. And I see the potential problem or challenge there is that there is also always one or more people defining this ontology or taxonomy, and they have to agree on some meanings of words because in an, in an ontology you have a word and you have the context of the word or what it means so people have to agree on this meaning and um that's really hard if you work with mm -hmm. a lot of people yeah basically if you then yeah then you don't know how to deal with uh, synonyms or yeah you basically have to deal with okay i want to give the best search experience to a user so you need to know what kind of words he or she is using um as an ontologist and I think this is one of the, the problems that uh, algorithms like Word2Vec or like the BERT models today with neural networks can solve. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to dive into the ontologies. And, and yeah, I remember another story Bob had told about uh, they couldn't agree whether it's a sea or a lake and that kind of idea where you have the disagreement on the terms. And, and uh, going to New York with you and seeing the ontologies, the symbolic graphs, I had never really been exposed to that kind of thing before. But uh, quickly, I want to dive a little deeper into the into your five years at uh, Semi Technologies and Weaviate. Can you tell me about sort of the, and then we'll kind of get deeper into how Weaviate itself has evolved, but how has your experience with the kind of startup company growing, how has that been? Yeah, yeah, that's been great. So, um, so like five years ago, I started more in a research-like position. So I was looking at technologies like Word2Vec and how can we use that to build a good neural search experience, basically. Um, so I've been experimenting a lot, building a lot of prototypes to test. Um, and what's good to mention, I think, is that I've been working with like uh, real users or real customers from the start. So we really learned from them what their challenges are and like how we can solve them and test things out. So yeah, it was really more like a research position. Um, back then I was also still uh, studying. I was doing a master's degree in human computer interaction. 
so that also like the lessons that I learned in my studies, I could directly apply in um, the research that I did with Reviate because my goal was to make the search experience or the yeah user or developer experience of natural language processing uh, or search search engines as friendly as possible. So it was really good that I could uh, put it in practice directly. So and during that time, of course, the startup started to grow. So Reviate got uh, um, developed uh, until like the version uh, 1.0 we had like two years ago, I think. Um, and since then, the team has also been growing. And that's just, just really amazing to see. So yeah, during that time, I've also been doing a lot of talks at conferences. Um, uh, I've been in close contact with the open source community. So always like trying to grow the community, uh, learn from their feedback that they have. And um, yeah, since I was involved in improving the developer experience, I, for example, designed the whole GraphQL API that we still have today and the documentation that is still out there. Um, yeah, those kind of things. And then now that the team is like way bigger, um, I can focus more uh, on like, uh, yeah, one thing again, and it's more like the research. So that's really exciting. Yeah, that's so interesting. And and I'm, I'm really curious. So could we dive a bit more into the human computer reaction and the user experience, the GraphQL design? Uh, I love how it has this, like, WeV8 has this Git, and then you can chain on these functions. Like if you want to do the near text search, the near vector question asking, and then accessing the properties of your data. Uh, can you take me through the design of the GraphQL and maybe principles from human computer interaction? What, what that kind of field of study, how does it help you think about these kinds of things? Yeah, yeah, super interesting. So yeah, first I will take a step back. So first uh, I want to share, uh, like share why we have GraphQL. So um, because we also have normal RESTful and RESTful API endpoints. And, but those like REST uh, API endpoints are more for accessing the resources. So accessing the data. So uh, updating data, um, uploading data, um, deleting data. You can all do those kind of things with RESTful, but then if you want to start searching through it, um, you need a, yeah, you cannot um, do it in one, yeah, single URL query basically. Um, so that's, I mean, the user experience of doing a search in a RESTful-like way, it's really hard. So that's why we started looking at GraphQL basically. Um, and yeah, of course, like when I started designing it, uh, my first goals were, you know, the, the general um, design principles that you should have with API design, like should be intuitive, should be readable, uh, um, yeah, simple as possible, like consistency in terms of naming, etc. Um, and then I started designing, and then I thought, okay, we're we're building a search engine which works, uh, for example, with semantic search in text or images. But um, so I wanted to also give a nice experience when you write a query that it feels like you're writing it in natural language, and that's where the the get and then um, near text, um, and then like the class and properties come from, because you can really read it as, okay, I want to get uh, a data that is of type article. Um, and from that, I want to see the name, um, the content, the authors, and so on. And I want to find articles that are near this piece of text. So I want to, yeah, I try to integrate the human language as much as possible in there. Yeah, well, that was really well said. I, I really like the flow of it. And 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 that also helped me understand sort of the difference between the REST API and the GraphQL API. If, if you want to have like arguments to a REST API, you had to have to have like this long URL, right? With like the question mark and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. To, <laughs> yeah. Compared to like stacking it out with the GraphQL, right? Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. The idea of a natural language interface with a search engine on say like multimodal data, arbitrary data, where you could say, uh, give me a picture of a dog playing with a ball. <laughs> I don't know, but like that kind of natural language uh, interface experience. Uh, so can we then kind of transition a bit to, um, so when you have the GraphQL and you have the new UX, how does that tie into the vector database of Weavia and the, all the indexing stuff? And how does the whole team kind of coordinate that kind of thing? 
Yeah, so right now we have like a big Reviate core team. So like consists of core engineers who are really building uh, Reviate. And next to that, we have like the research team that you and I are in. Um, and um, yeah, so the goal is to have like, we do research, like we find new technologies uh, that might be a potential feature or like an improvement or something. And our current approach now is that, you know, we, um, we pick up these things, uh, we test if they are useful for us, we do like experiments, um, yeah, to evaluate it. And then the goal is to come up with a good design for which we can pass on to the core team, let's say. And this design that consists of, um, yeah, what this technology is, but also how it should look like from a user perspective. Um, so how it should be used by a user. And um, yeah, that's that's a really important thing that we uh, uh, find really yeah, important with building Reviate is that we always try to have the highest UX as possible. So um, that means the design is from an API perspective because Reviate ends at API level. So all the things that the user or the developer using Reviate will see is at API level. So this is the user experience. And from there, we start building a design, basically. And yeah, so once we have that, we can pass it to the core team and they can start building uh, and do it like um, in the most uh, efficient way, of course, and so on. So when you, when I, I want to ask about your approach to the research process and when you see new papers or new ideas coming out, do you instantly have this perspective of, okay, what would this look like in Weaviate? Is that your first kind of approach to thinking about it? Um, yes and no. So of course I'm always thinking about like, can we use this with Weaviate? Yes or no. But it's like, um, I kind of address a, a bigger question. Um, and that is, does it add value in a search experience? So Weaviate is a vector search engine. So the goal is that people can use this to improve their yeah, search experience. So if it's a really nice new uh, technique or new machine learning model or whatever that is not related to this or would not improve the search experience, then I might use it for something else, but not for Reviate, obviously. So there's always this bigger question in my head, like, okay, can we use this to improve the experience basically? Can I ask about the like the development of search and the application of search? Have any particular say use cases that that you use to reason about most uh, like most problems? Say like the question of who's the best basketball player of all time, searching <laughs> through Wikipedia. Like, do you use these kind of like examples to to like guide your thinking? Uh, yeah, I think there is always use cases in mind when I. Um when I think about usability or like uh, for a potential new, new feature. And yeah, this of course can come from my own imagination, but it can also come from what I get back from like open source users or um, yeah, other people that use a search engine. When you find yourself designing things, do you ever like maybe go too particular into one application and then have to think about how does this generalize out or is it? Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky thing, right? <laughs> So it's, um, yeah, of course, like, of course you're, you're sometimes I'm experimenting and then you really dive into one subject, but then it's really important to indeed take that step back and then generalize and think, okay, mm -hmm. is this only useful for this particular problem or can it be, um, useful in more situations? And both is fine, but you need to be aware of what, uh, what case it is basically. You generally have like uh, maybe like less is more. Is that kind of a good way of thinking about how you kind of design these like like function calls almost? Like when you design like a GraphQL API, it's kind of like a function. Maybe the the more succinctly you can describe it, is that uh, the better way kind of generally? Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. I think of course it should be should be simple and intuitive, but if you oversimplify it, that's that's also dangerous, of course. It's, it should still be clear what it means. And um, yeah, now that we see that we um, are adding more and more features to improve the whole search pipeline, basically, this also, um, yeah, 
so another topic comes to my mind now is that how do we scale this uh, GraphQL API to serve all the possible use cases? Before we had like um, you could do you could use Reviate for just a semantic search, so that would be a simple uh, query where you have one uh, yeah piece of text or one image that you would search by. But now with all like um, um, yeah, other methods to increase, like make the pipeline bigger, uh, to improve the search experience and improve the results, basically. Um, the GraphQL should also be, uh, yeah, so be able to support that, of course. And then, yeah, it becomes really uh, difficult to um, to come up with a good language that supports it, basically. Yeah, I'm so excited about this idea of the adding new features and building out the pipelines. Uh, quickly, before we dive into that, can we talk about, say, uh, what goes into the integrations with, uh, you developed these coding tutorials of how to combine Weaviate with Gina and Weaviate with Haystack. How's your experience been making these like open source tools fit together? Yeah, yeah, that's really exciting. So uh, Haystack by, by DeepSet and uh, Gina as well are neural search frameworks which basically means that um, they focus on the entire ecosystem around neural search. So that goes from like data pre-processing and fine tuning um, to the search um, as well. Um, and yeah, those frameworks are like, should be used in, in Python. And um, that's really nice if you want to build like a whole search experience, right? Um, but if you want to scale this to production or to like big data, then you also need an efficient database that uh, lies underneath this application, basically. And that's, yeah, Reviate is one of the possible, um, yeah, databases that supports this. So since I think the beginning of this year, we have these integrations with Haystack and Gina that if you use their framework, you can use Reviate as uh, its database needed, basically. And yeah, that's just super cool to work with, uh, with these people on this project. Yeah, I think that's a super interesting uh, connection, obviously, being like part of Weaviate. <laughs> I like the vector database end where you have the HNSW efficiently find the nearest neighbor structure with the persistence and the database features. And then you can uh, pipe stream, pipeline that upstream <laughs> to things like question answering, re-ranking, and overall thinking exactly. about these pipelines. So I'm super excited to dive into this topic of search pipelines. So we have maybe retrieval, mm -hmm. we could have sentence transformer retrieval, BM25 retrieval, aggregate step, and then cross encoder, all these things. Uh, can you take me through your understanding of search pipelines? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, how I see it is that like basic information retrieval um, that comes like that interacts with a database. So if we have Weaviate as database, then a basic information retrieval is just like making query and getting some uh, results back from the database. Um, this, however, so we use um, bi-encoders uh, models. So that's our, that our neural networks that uh, make vector representations out of words or sentences. Um, and then like, Data will be basically retrieved in Weaviate by comparing the vector of a query and comparing uh, with the um, vectors of the data objects. So um, this is a really efficient method, um, but it also comes with some drawbacks that is uh, maybe not as accurate as you want to be. Um, for this, like we also next to bi-encoders that create vectors out of words, we also have cross-encoders. So cross-encoders do not produce vectors, but they compare a query directly with a sentence or a word and give a value between zero and one, um, how similar it is. This, these kind of methods, if they are trained on the yeah, uh, representative data set, have a higher recall, like higher, higher accuracy than um, a bi-encoder. But it comes with a cost because it's computationally very expensive. So what's interesting now is if we combine this cheap method of bi-encoders with the more expensive but more accurate methods, cross-encoders. So um, the idea is basically to have like use a bi-encoder to retrieve initial set of data, um, which is a subset of the of of course all your data uh, relevant to your search query, 
and then re-rank them, uh, reorder them based on a cross encoder, which can be executed uh, because it's uh, like a shorter list, basically. Um, so that's one way to improve the re initial results of information retrieval. Um, yeah, and there's uh, I can go on with like more ways. <laughs> so we have um, you can all so this was one way of re-ranking results basically. And you can go on with this. So if you want to personalize search based on some user information, for example, you could use another re-ranker to re-rank those results again and uh, have the most relevant results to this user place on top. So you can basically extend this pipeline um, with many models uh, that you want uh, to have a, like, a good search experience. Yeah, and I, I love what, uh, so I think Bob pitched this idea of having like, um, you're in the ocean and you cast a big fish net and you get a bunch of fish on the boat with retrieval and then say you have exactly. to have yeah, like workers who pick up the fish and it's more expensive to have the workers compared to the fish net, but then they're more mm -hmm. accurate at uh, looking at the fish and making sure it's the fish you're looking for. Uh, so one of the topics that really excites me about this is thinking about this kind of zero shot generalization thing and these models that have been pre-trained and they come off the shelf and with retrieval models say it's kind of, I, say, I think like the deep learning end of Weaviate's vector representations are built on these pre-trained sentence transformers that say, uh, they have data sets like Wikipedia, where you use the heuristic of neighboring paragraphs, make these representations similar, or maybe you have like the MS Marco data set where they've uh, published like a million uh, query correct result or like what they clicked on pairs. And so you use that to train these retrieval models. And then it's been trained on such a big data set that you say it will uh, do this zero shot generalization to your problem. And I think this kind of way that we have these pipelines you see it as a way to say, correct the error of zero shot retrieval. So, you know, the, you're trying to search through say the Weaviate documentation and you're trying to use retrieval from Wikipedia. And of course there's a bit of a domain shift. So maybe instead of having to fine tune our retrieval model, we could just fine tune the cross encoder, right? Or these kind of things. How do you see this kind of like zero shot generalization of the retrieval and the cross encoder? We could have zero shot cross encoders too. <laughs> Does it make it like simpler to adapt it to your problem kind of, or? Like... Yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So I think we need to experiment with that, what works best, because I think if you have, so if you have the Weaviate, like Weaviate documentation, which contains a lot of um, like specific words to Weaviate, which of course do not appear in Wikipedia, um, then if you just use this model trained in Wikipedia, it doesn't work right on your technical doc documentation. I think just um, just fine tuning a cross encoder, like retraining a cross encoder, wouldn't necessarily solve the whole problem because if the results were not caught in this big uh, net of fish in the first place, then the, fit, the expensive fishman cannot find the right fish anyways. So we also <laughs> need to um, make sure that those right fishes are initially already caught in that big net, basically, and um, yeah, so that might mean we also need to fine tune a bioencoder or what's also really interesting is, uh, combine it with, um, with sparse search. So for example, BM25, which just looks at, um, so it doesn't use neural networks or anything. It just looks at, uh, the words itself. So BM25 is maybe like a, like a cage like a lobster cage like it like we have like our fishnet and we have maybe like some other kind of fishing device how do, how do you see the interplay of uh of the bm25 and the sentence transformer i think it's a big question but like just kind of taking it from the beginning what like what does bm25 add to sentence transformers or that they each miss out on yeah yeah that's super interesting so i think like before we had just sparse methods so just TF-IDF BM25, um, which just use like exact words to retrieve uh, data. Um, but now, like of course, these BM25 and TF-IDF methods, they don't know anything about synonyms or polysemy. So that's where dense methods, so methods that are trained with a neural network to understand the language, um, can solve that problem. But if you just use dense methods, like uh, like Weaviate is using uh, as we speak then um, um, 
if you use that on a data set that is not uh, like that is out of domain of your trading set, basically, you might see problems. Um, and that can, so then it, it becomes interesting to combine BM25 like methods with dense encoders to, um, yeah, bridge that gap basically. Because I think like if you are, if you have a search query that contains some very specific words, um, like um, what does near text do in Reviate, if you want to search by that, then we know that you really need to have the word near text in your result. So if we use BM25 on that query, um, we will see uh, for sure a result with near text. But if we just use that uh, by encoder, we might see relevant results, but maybe the near text isn't really on top or like, um, so yeah, if we combine those methods, I think they like can solve a lot of out of domains problem, problems. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like they complement each other well. And I think this comes back into the user experience design and how you're gonna interface with these two ways of search. So I guess maybe the most straightforward way to do it would be to have say an aggregation score, right? Where you have like 0.5 times the BM25 score plus 0.5 times the sentence transformer uh, score uh, rank maybe might be a way to like heavily emphasize. So so how is how would the user interface design then take a concept like BM25 sentence transformer and then create an experience in which you can combine them easily for search pipelines? Yeah, yeah, that's super interesting. So first we need to find out like what are all the possible ways that you can combine them? Because the, the way you just described is like a, a linear way. So you have, mm -hmm. on, you do both searches. So the dense search and sparse search uh, in parallel, parallel. And then you um, do like um, alpha times the dense, beta times the uh, sparse and you combine them. So that's a linear way. What you could also do is use uh, RRF method. And what that means is um, you take both result lists and you don't look at the individual scores, but you look at the order. So the results that appear on top on both results will appear on top in the final result as well. So these are already two methods of combining the results basically, and maybe there are more. Um, so we need to make sure we um, first look at, okay, which methods to combine them are relevant. Um, and then secondly, to um, yeah, support them in a GraphQL design or like another way of, uh, in an API, it doesn't have to be GraphQL maybe. Um, yeah, that also supports, if there are coming more methods coming in the future, that also supports like, uh, yeah, to be able to scale to that basically. This is one idea that uh, that uh, I think we talked about a little bit recently that I think might be kind of overdoing it. But do you think maybe when you have a query, you kind of classify whether this is a query that should go to BM25 and you should kind of add one more part in the pipeline where uh, the query, what is near text in uh, Weaviate? And then this uh, query intent classifier or pipeline inference thing goes, this is pretty entity centric. We should probably send this to BM25 and weight it according to this. A function do you think that would maybe add like too much to it or do you think that maybe could just i guess coming back to the user experience it could compress it a lot because you just have this thing that creates the pipeline and then it's like uh like pipeline wizard or something <laughs> <interface> like that. <laughs> yeah yeah that's super interesting so um i think we're definitely moving in that way that we like um so Weaviate itself is already modular. And I think like the whole GraphQL or like the, the whole API, maybe it is not GraphQL, uh, whole API design should also be modular. So I pick this element in my pipeline, this element, I want to combine them like this. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then like you said, like looking at the query, so really query parsing and doing maybe even some manipulation to the query to make uh, the list of results better uh, in the end. Um, yeah, that I think that's that's super cool. So if you like, what's what I saw in research is that BM25 queries, which are very specific, so basically long queries with a lot of entities or named entities in there, 
they um, achieve a higher score in the result list than um, than shorter queries or like one word queries. So if we could somehow learn from a query if it is very specific or not, we can give a higher score to the BM25 compared to the dense methods. And this leaves a lot, little bit of experiment, but I think this is definitely what the way we're moving to. Yeah, I really want to dive back into the modular design, but you brought up something that I think is pretty, is really interesting in that, um, you know, it doesn't always have to be so complicated, right? Like something like just the length of the query could be enough of a heuristic yeah. to tell you which one you probably want to use. I can also ask about the design of the uh, the scalar filters, how you can say do a vector search, but then you can also kind of label it symbolically and filter the search that way. How How did that kind of come to be in the inspiration of combining it that way with uh, simple kind of filters as well as this kind of vector alignment, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's really one of the, the strong points of Reviate, I believe. So if you just have a vector index or vector, um, yeah, vector index where you can store vectors and retrieve vectors um, that are basically algorithms like, um, I think like FIS and SCAN, you can just put vectors in there, but not the data object itself. So mm -hmm. if you do, so you can do just a vector search, which means you put a vector as inputs, you get vectors as outputs. But that's not really usable if you talk about real data because you want to see um, the actual data object. <laughs> um, so VVA doesn't only store the vectors, but it also store the actual data object, which means, um, yeah, if you search by one, you can, if you search by vector, you can get actual results back uh, that belong to, to vectors, of course. Um, but then we've also combines this vector search with, like you said, the, the structured filtering. Um, we call this aware filter. So like in SQL, you can put a aware filter. Um, and that, um, so in that you can say some restrictions to your search, some filters. So let's say you want like the color of your product always to be red in the results, then this is a really strict filter. What then happens in a search, if you combine this with a near text search, we feel it will first perform this um, structured filtering. And it uses like inverted indexes for that, um, which then creates an allow list for the vector search. So it's a two-step approach basically. And yeah, I think that that's really, that's, yeah, really cool from a technical perspective, but it's just really, um, yeah, it, it's just something you need to have from a UX perspective if you talk about a database. I think. Yeah, I think that's huge for the the UX of deep learning search generally. If the, if you are getting a nearby uh, shoe image and you can filter it with the red uh, color tag, you you already get a much better kind of uh, space to that and. Uh, so I, I see kind of a couple of ways of taking this conversation, but quickly I wanted to talk about the idea of uh, just just kind of the comparison of face and Weaviate and uh, how you can store the symbolic things. So uh, maybe to give like a quick example of something I've been doing is studying, uh, you have archive title abstracts and you vectorize the abstracts and you store the vectors in Weaviate, but then you also store the index. And so what that lets you do is then you want to take the title and see if you can find the matching abstract. And you don't just have the vector because then you don't know if it matched it or not. You mm -hmm. also have the index. So, so that's like kind of one example that I've been doing that shows how storing the additional things in addition to the uh, vector helps you like study these things. And then also I'd say if the topic is Weaviate versus Face, having that persistence of the database layer is super useful for this because it takes a super long time to like upload a million vectors right and and mm -hmm. that kind of thing so having it like it's going to stay in there as a database i've also found that to be incredibly useful so uh, and then so <laughs> i know i'm kind of jumping around <laughs> with the conversation topic but so what so this inverted index thing is like um you invert the category so it's red and then the things that have the property red, how does an inverted index and the HNSW index, how do those two things coexist? Oh, that's a good question. That's really technical. <laughs> um, so I think inverted index is something that we know already from relational databases. Um, 
basically what yeah like you said what you do is you invert the yeah the properties of a data object in in the, in the table so instead of like having each data object with a property and a value you would have a value first and then each uh, data object that has this value um, which that basically just improves the efficiency like it has uh, uh, lower latency uh, I think that whole HNSW is like um, that's an yeah an algorithm so uh, approximate nearest neighbor algorithm that allows for very efficient um, vector mm -hmm. search so that's on the other hand basically um, yeah <laughs> yeah I think the that approximate nearest neighbor thing is definitely one of my uh, my favorite topics around Weaviate and I'd I'd love to get back into the modular thing, but can you tell me about uh, your experience with the approximate nearest neighbors, kind of how you first became introduced it, introduced to it, and then sort of what that unlocks sort of in your thinking about these search pipelines? Yeah, so ANN, um, so let me take a step back. So if you have like um, a database full of vectors, which are like basically points in a high dimensional space, and you want to search through it, you um, basically want to do a KNN search, so uh, nearest neighbor search from a certain point, and this point is your search query. Um, so with KNN, you basically retrieve all the elements or all the vectors with data objects that are closest to this search query, um, and it retrieves yeah all of them to like how big you want to have it. But if you want to do this on a large scale. And with large, I mean, I don't even mean billions or millions, but even thousands, it's really expensive. So the computation time to retrieve those nearest neighbors is really expensive. So that's where you, that's when, that's why uh, ANN, so approximate nearest neighbor algorithms were introduced. Um, because, yeah, if you have like a real, uh, real time application with a lot of data, then KNN won't scale. And basically, HNSW, so using graphs basically to do this kind of, uh, yeah, uh, retrieving the nearest neighbors, but like approximately, is, is one way of doing it. Yeah, I, th I think it's amazing. I, I mean, doing the, like, I've been doing some tests where I'm doing the exact nearest neighbor, and it really takes a crazy long amount of time <laughs> yeah, to right. do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, so I think that's such a huge part of it. And, so if we could then come into like the modular design and user experience. And so like one module of the modular design would be the, these vector indexes, the inverted uh, object indexes for say, the color is red, the hospital name is, et cetera, the state is, et cetera, whatever these symbolic filters. And then kind mm -hmm. of going upstream to modules like uh, near text pipelines, question answering, and then also kind of this, um, how this enables the integrations with uh, Gina and Haystack is this kind of modular design, right? And um, so I wanted to ask about the, you've made videos on the, how to add custom modules and I wanted to kind of ask this topic about the extensibility of Weaviate and uh, adding custom parts to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'll first like talk a bit about how this modular design works. So basically Weaviate itself is, is a vector search engine, vector database. So without any modules, it's a pure vector um, database. So that means you need to upload your own vectors with your data and query it with your own vectors. Then you can use, for example, a bioencoder or like a retriever model, like a bird model, sentence bird model, or ResNet50 for images. You can add that as module on top of Weaviate to calculate the vectors of your data and of your search queries if you don't have them yet. So um, yeah, Weaviate offers some of these modules out of the box. So we have our own trained modules, which are very lightweight, but there's also uh, modules like you can use every uh, model that is published on Hugging Face, for example, uh, or OpenAI, which have pre-trained models available to do this kind of inference. And um, yeah, so you can use these modules or these models as a Weaviate module with Weaviate. Um, 
yeah, then to your question, you can also like not choose not to use any of these pre-trained models, but use a model that you trained on your own or whatever. Um, yeah, so basically what you then do is um, you uh, use basically the design of a, um, yeah, if you have text, you use design of a text factorization module in Reviate and instead of um, like talking to this module model from Hugging Face, you talk to your own model via uh, uh, API calls. Yeah, I think that the GraphQL design is so intuitive for how you can chain these things together. And I definitely think that whole thing is really interesting. And so I'm sorry to be uh, sort of jumping around the topics <laughs> a little bit, but I think um, so we've talked about kind of like Weaviate and I think something that makes it so unique. We've we have the um, the vector index and how that plays with the inverted object index for adding these symbolic filters. But then one other big part of like the Weaviate data model that that I really think is interesting and want to talk about is the graph-like data model and having relations between your data and how you can say, uh, uh, what's the hacker new art? It's a uh, uh, wine was the wine was made in and then a, like a brewery or uh, <laughs> originally from say France and place like that. So can yeah. you tell me about the graph-like data model and how you can link things? Each thing can have its own HNSW and uh, uh, inverted index, right? With each of the classes that you've linked together with these um, Cross references. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Um, so we, we within Reviate, like the the data model works like you have classes, classes. So data classes, which have a name, for example, a wine, um, and like <laughs> this data class can have some properties with some values. So property can be, as you said, or like it can be the name of the wine. Um, so you have class wine and then like a value name of the wine you have, uh, um, whether it's, um, maybe like the type of grapes or whatever. And then, but you can also define like where it's coming from, um, where it's like, who is the producer, which color has it. Um, so, but yeah, these, uh, properties can be a class on itself. So if you have a lot of wines and you see that. The countries, for example, is a limited list, of course. So you can also make a class out of this country. You probably want to do that. Um, so then from the wine, you can refer to which country it's coming from. And um, yeah, this is basically a graph-like model um, because you can make cross-references between one and the other in a like, one-to-many um, relationship kind of way. Yeah, do you maybe we could sort of try to pitch how we could put the weviate documentation into this kind of um this kind of data model so one way that i like it the most is with this kind of multimodal sense where um say like using the twitter thing for example where you have tweet has image and then so you can separate out the like text vector index with the image vector index and i also mm -hmm. see you could do that with like code also maybe like so we have like a Weaviate uh, in the Weaviate documentation, say there is a tutorial and we want to say has code, has text, and then you have a code vector index. So if you want to search just for a code snippet, you can kind of isolate it that way. Uh, is, it, is this making sense how I'm trying to describe yeah. this? Like, uh, could you take me through how you might decompose that data and then organize it in this kind of model? Yeah, yeah. Multi-model models are really interesting because what um, so if a machine learning model is trained on both text and images, they can represent it in uh, the same vector space. This means you can search by one modality, for example, text, and find results in the other, for example, image or code. So um, yeah, this is really interesting because the way we need we need to vectorize text is is like uh different from like how we look at images so what is captured in an image so combining these or in code so combining these into one model um, allows us to search through them um, by whichever modality we want and this is also something that we can use in documentation later documentation search because the way you you need to index like encode uh, text as vector is different from encoding uh, code or images as, mm -hmm. as vectors. Yeah. 
I'm curious what you think of this idea as well. Say we have these, um, so we have the WeVA general Slack where we see a lot of these questions about specific things. And say we want to have like a class that is um, Slack conversations. And then we have another class is the, um, the WeVA documentation or maybe like a code tutorial that would like walk you through an example of how to use it. And then you maybe link link it that way. So it's like Slack conversation, uh, most relevant to... <laughs> documentation that kind of way of breaking down the data and then i guess like then thinking about how the how you can kind of apply the relational filters through it does that kind of thing make sense as a way to use the data model um yeah definitely so you could use the, the questions that are posted in slack channel or on, on stack overflow as uh yeah as part of your data model of course hmm. so you can like link those questions with the actual content where the, the answer is um, can be found in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think that whole thing is really interesting. The all the different parts of the WeVA model and then the user experience design, how the GraphQL lets you access these things. I think all that is just really interesting. So kind of um, stepping out into more of a, a meta topic. Uh, you, you've been an avid conference speaker. Can can you tell me about like what goes into uh, sort of your preparation, uh, the the whole the whole kind of experience, I guess, is something I'm curious about as someone who's like kind of interested in doing this kind of thing as well. And like you've traveled all over Europe and in New York. And so like, what has that experience been? Yeah, yeah, it's been really great. So I'm really happy that we can travel again, like after all the, the COVID restrictions. So actually, I just started to travel since this year. Before that, I did like a lot of uh, meetups and conference presentations and like workshops online. But I think this whole thing of being in person and being able to actually talk with people, see their responses, like answer their questions and learn about like their interest and motivation, that adds so much value to um, to whatever you're doing, I think. So I think like, um, yeah, I get really excited to to speak in front of these people and explain them a really new concept. Um, and then like seeing their reaction, okay, this is, could actually be something that I can be using. Uh, and then talking about like possible use cases and so on. Um, yeah, in terms of preparation. So um, usually I'm doing like introduction talks to vector search. So what is vector search? Um, because it, this is a relatively new concept for most of the people. So um yeah in that case i have like um uh, some slides ready and then i adjust like adjust like the slides to to the conference i'm speaking at um to make it like fitting with the audience and etc and um yeah i also sometimes give workshops and then i have like a python jupyter notebook uh, uh ready to to share with the audience that they can actually build their own um, vector search application within the hour, basically. So, yeah, that's just super exciting to do. Yeah, let me ask a quick question on which one do you prefer between uh, the overview or the hands-on workshop kind of thing? Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think the the workshop because I there I also start with a like a small presentation because mm -hmm. I want first the people to know what they are actually gonna do. Um, but then to see the, the excitement of people that they like do their first mm -hmm. neural search, basically their first semantic search, and then like seeing the possibilities that it opens for them is just, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. And I think that it comes back to the kind of, hopefully there's a consistent theme. I know we're going around <laughs> the WeVay topics, but that user experience. And I think there was, uh, I remember reading a TechCrunch article, uh, with Bob where it's like, um, it's like Bob put their articles into TechCrunch and then showed them how to do the queries, right? And because that GraphQL design, it's so like, you get it right away when you start like using the near text. And I, I think that really ties the whole thing together with the user experience to putting on the workshop to people saying like, oh, I get what this is, right? And that whole kind of flow of it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really important uh, topic. So um, if you are using, especially a new technology, like some like new, yeah, new technology, new database. You don't want to be held back by, um, 
yeah, a difficult uh, way of querying it, by, uh, for example. So the query language uh, is like the API is the main interface for people. So that mm. that is the first thing that we need to like, just like the documentation is we really need to have that uh, intuitive and as simple as possible. And we also, so that also, um, so VV8 has client libraries like in Python, Java, Go, um, JavaScript, um, so that you can use VV8 easily within your own applications. And of course, like the, the team, like Stefan and Martin are working on that. So that's also part of the whole developer experience, basically, that we want to have as high as possible. Yeah, and I also think that um, that semi console that lets you uh, connect to the Weaviate instance and then do the GraphQL queries without even uh, writing Python code or what. Or, and even in the Python code, I think it's you, it's the same thing, right? Where you just have like the three uh, quotation string bracket, and then you just paste in that same GraphQL. But yeah, the the console thing, I, I think that is like a beautiful user interface for uh, for getting started with it. Also. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and also, um, so now that the community is growing, we also see that people who are like people start to contribute to Weavey, but also contribute to examples or like uh, some demo mm -hmm. projects that are made with Weavey. So we see people that made like um, a really simple user interface for querying uh, images, for example, in a multi-model way, mm -hmm. or really intuitive user interface for doing it in text or having a movie recommender uh, uh, or search engine. And I think like if you start with VV8 and you look at this repository of examples, it's really easy to get started. And that's what really excites me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such an interesting uh, part of what we're trying to do with our next like, you know, few months of doing this is like, how quickly can people learn VV8? How quickly can they get their data and how quickly can they understand how to query it? And yeah, so I think also just the whole thing about content, getting people up to speed with Weave8. And I think this is like such a great uh, coverage of topics. And I think from everything from the understanding of the GraphQL, the user experience, hearing your story of the time at Weave8 and um, design of modules, extending it with other plugins like Haystack, Gina, Hugging Face, OpenAI, and how this whole thing fits together. I, I think this is a great overview. So thank you so much, Laura, for, uh, for coming on the Weave8 podcast and explaining these things. Thank you, Connor, for having me. That was great. <laughs>